All right, here we are, another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game, personally and professionally. Today, I'm chatting with Rian, who worked with multiple Fortune 100 companies implementing peak performance strategies and has led research initiatives with Dr. Dan Siegel, professor of psychiatry at UCLA, Imperial College London, the University of Southern California, University of Zurich, and Claremont Graduate University. He also co-founded the Flow Research Collective alongside Connor Murphy and New York Times bestselling author Stephen Kotler. Their mission is to understand the science behind ultimate human performance and use it to train up individuals and organizations by decoding the neurobiology of flow, understanding what is going on in the brain and in the body when humans are performing at their best, they can then open up new possible space for potential. This is going to be super fun. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it, Mark. Absolutely. Like you guys are doing some really cool stuff. Um, I mean, for, for long-term listeners of the show, I've, I've interviewed um, Jamie Wheel in the past, who's, who's part of the, 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 the whole project back in the day. So it's super excited to, uh, super excited, I should say, to have you on the show. You guys have some wicked courses that really, I think, help, you know, the everyday person access flow states. So thanks for making some time. Absolutely. No, I'm psyched to, psyched to jump into it. And I appreciate the, uh, the kind words about what we're doing as well. I think it's, it's a nice balance between extremely geeky and kind of <laughs> well, so. Totally. So, you know, before we, we dive into all of this stuff, like I'd like to back up a bit just and, and chat a little bit about your history, because I mean, you've gone through some pretty wild life events yourself going, you know, right back to when you were uh, a young guy, 13, a near fatal head injury, and kind of consequently suffering through a lot of those complications for 10 plus years after. So why don't you just uh, provide a little context on on some of that part of your life and how you started to get through uh, to where you're at today? Sure, sure. So when I was about 13, um, I was on holidays with my family, kind of a classic family holiday style setup in Croatia. And when uh, down a 100 foot vertical water slide head first um, as a kind of ambitious 13 year old and tried to do a somersault off the bottom of the slide semi-rotated and hit the top of my head off the concrete bottom of the pool the water in the pool was only about three foot deep it was before Croatia was in the EU so they were sort of lacking um in regulations and safety procedures and that kind of thing um and luckily it wasn't fatal because my head was sort of perfectly straight um but because of that it did result in pretty severe um impact into the brain and then pretty severe damage into my neck and back which caused five or six years of um pretty unpleasant symptoms after that so I was diagnosed with a, a kind of post-head injury malaise, which is essentially an undiagnosable set of debilitating symptoms. Uh, and that triggered a journey into becoming deeply interested in self-development, personal growth, and then peak performance neuroscience um, and the fields that you know we work in now at the Flow Research Collective. 
so I mean, you you glazed over it a little bit in the sense of the of the amount of time that you have to deal with a lot of the results of that, you know, that event, right? I mean, five, six plus years. That's that's not an insignificant amount of time. I'm curious to know, you know, on emotional level, how did you process? Um, what was going on and and realize and I think you at that time too there was a there was a realization that you're most likely moving on from the sporting world into more of you know business and entrepreneurship and whatnot yeah it was it was tough I mean it was basically my whole teenage years from 13 through until symptoms cleared up primarily at about 17 and then fully at about 19 so it was yeah, pretty much my teenage years start to finish. And yeah. um, first two and a half years, I was in a kind of cycle of assuming that, you know, by the end of the following week, it would be better. And by the end of the following, you know, week after that, it would be better. Surely by Christmas, it'll be better. Surely by the end of this season, it'll be better. So it was just this kind of constant uh, postponing of hope cycle. Um which okay. is kind of oddly effective, though, for getting you through it, you know, because it breaks it down into small increments of it's just a month more of these symptoms. And then surely because of this doctor that I'm seeing, the thing is going to finally work and I'll be better. So, you know, there was no point, at least for the first few years, that I thought it was going to go on for five or six years. If I'd known that in the first year, it actually would have made it, I think, much more challenging. Um, yeah because of yeah just realizing the the sort of permanency of the whole thing uh and then as it you know i began to have to accept the fact that okay this is a hell of a long lasting thing after it being you know two and a half years of suffering from amnesia and chronic fatigue and nausea and all sorts of other really not good symptoms uh and at about 15 or 16 I sort of dipped into more mental health related challenges, struggling with anxiety and depression. And it was at that point actually that I began reading uh, and reading unraveled a sort of rabbit hole of personal development and peak performance and, and kind of got me into this whole world through peeking behind the curtain through a book. Sure. I think it was um, Blink by a guy called Matthew Syed. Uh, it's similar to the talent myth by Jeff Cal Calvin, okay. sort of, uh, he sort of debunks the whole notion of talent, which I found massively inspiring. It kind of gave me a sense that, you know, we all have the power of agency and that um, your abilities are much more determined by your inputs rather than anything that's predetermined. Yeah. Well, what's interesting, what you said there for me is that, like, just drawing parallels to... Um, you know, the, the different aspects of your life. And, you know, for a lot of us listening as well, um, I think when it comes to not knowing, you know, how long it's going to take to, let's say, get better in your case or complete X or how long it's going to take for that business to actually get to the point where you, you want it to be. I mean, in hindsight, you know, if we know that stuff, it, yeah, I think we'd all slip into some sort of depression. So it's like cutting it up, yeah. right? To your point, in those little buckets, exactly, um, is an interesting parallel because I know kind of the next phase of your life. Um, I almost describe it as you surrounding yourself with exceptional people, and you know, interning and reaching out to, you know, 
uh, well-known authors, well-known uh, researchers, and, and then obviously uh, leading to exactly where you, you are right now. I, I'm curious, like, what was it that first triggered you to start reaching out to these, you know, a lot of these people, you know, are almost unreachable if you would, if you think of, of, of who they are. So I, I'd love to know what your process was or your thought uh, or your mentality, I should say, around taking that approach. Sure. Yeah. I remember at about 16, listening to a lot of self-development content on YouTube and hearing a ton of the gurus and speakers and things like that, talking about the importance of purpose and finding your passion and finding your purpose. And I, at that time, really bought into that sort of self-help cliche, thankfully, actually, because it was very useful. Um, I became mm-hmm. sort of determined to find out exactly what I wanted to do long-term with the goal being to find out what I want to do for my entire life as quickly as possible so that I can you know, devote a full life to one thing and make as much progress as possible in one thing rather than having a career that involves chops and changes. You know, I wanted to really go far in one direction. Um, and I remember, I'm not sure how I got the idea, if it was my own idea or if I read it somewhere, but I remember hearing that um, the most effective way or one of the most effective ways to find out what it is that you actually want to do is just to do as many things as possible and to begin by finding out the things that you don't want to do. And through yeah. doing that, you can start crossing things out, which, you know, by default ends up narrowing your focus towards the common denominators amidst everything you're doing that, you know, you're actually enjoying and that are lighting you up. And my vehicle for that process was internships. So I became kind of an adamant interner. Uh, <laughs> God, I don't know how many internships, at least, at least 20, I would say, between 15 and 21 um, wow. And it was immensely, immensely helpful. I began thinking that I wanted to work in finance and law and I would do internships for free just for a week or even two weeks in big law firms in Dublin and things like that and just you know, scratch those off the list uh, and began a kind of process of converging towards peak performance in this world that we're in now. But in terms of outreaching to people, it began by just reaching out to you know the a CEO of a local company in Dublin and things like that. And then because of getting quite good responses with those smaller outreaches, I began reaching out to people that I was listening to on YouTube um, and on podcasts and authors of books I'd read. And I would just send them an email, which would always begin something along the lines of, hey, I'm an 18-year-old student or a 19-year-old student or whatever it was at Trinity College Dublin. That was always my first line. And then I would keep it super brief uh, and very much so value additive and leveraging the fact that I was young and positive, passionate and full of energy. And I just would get phenomenal responses. I remember getting responses from, you know, Harvard professors like Tal Ben-Shahar and Mm -hmm. Teresa Mible, whose work actually we study now. And then that mentally broke down the barrier between where I was at sort of sitting in the library in college and where all of these people who I was massively, you know, passionate about uh, were at usually in the US or wherever they were. Uh, so I would just reach out constantly, obsessively yeah. to different people. And if you do that enough, you end up getting enough responses and kind of putting yourself in enough positions that eventually you get lucky, as I did, and ended up being able to connect with Dan Siegel out here in, in LA and work with Keith Ferrazzi 
in LA as well. And then obviously came across Stephen and, and that became the primary journey. I love it. Cause it's, I mean, it, it's accessible, right, to anyone. I mean, I a lot of the the guests that are on this show, it's kind of the same strategy. You you, you just have to ask. You have to start. But I think what's key, and you you touched on it, it's like you're you're listening to these people. You're following their content. You know what they're talking about. You're personalizing the message. The, the message. This isn't just some, you know, spam kind of DM or email that I'd imagine a lot of them get all the time, right? There's there's some there's there's thought behind it and, and that does go a long way so I, I mean i encourage everyone listening um to take a shot at this right and when you when you kind of go at it with uh with some uh, authenticity and to your point as you start getting responses then your confidence increases and and it's almost like the, the sky's the limit right so thank you for sharing that uh on a practical level so that that kind of brings us up close at least close to present day I'm, I'm curious you know when it comes to and it almost seems like full circle with you know some of the, like you mentioned some of the people that you had reached out now you're actually doing research with it's super cool to see that um what was it about flow states and neuroscience and all of that that's really you know brought you to this point we're at now sure so yeah when you get into the whole world of peak performance and personal development self-help whatever way you want to categorize that whole space. And it's a pretty broad space ranging all the way from some of the old school kind of 1960s um, self-help preacher types like Jim Rohn, all the way to people who are modern day and much more within academia and research, like, you know, at least we like to believe we are. Uh, But I I still sort of, you know, there's there's common threads to that whole world. And I was interested in that whole world, which I think is, you know, underscored by a belief that you can in some way impact the results that you're going to have in your life. Um, whether that's, you know, through a scientific approach or whether that's through a very self-healthy approach or whether that's through a spiritual approach, that kind of underlying belief is common to that whole world. And as I was reading more and more books within that space, I was resonating much more with folks who took a more in-depth, rigorous, scientific approach versus a older school self-help approach or mm-hmm. a spiritual approach. Um, and I remember just reading Stephen's book, The Rise of Superman, which talks about flow states, and he outlines different action adventure sports athletes who experience flow in a very deep way. And he does so with this what I found kind of beautiful blend between science and rigor um, and an in-depth analysis from that perspective and also a very accessible, cool, appealing, applicable uh, approach as well. And he was one of the first people I'd come across that, you know, struck the perfect balance between being evidence-based and research-backed and also cool, accessible and applicable. Yeah, and that was my, you know, real appeal to me at the time. Uh, and then also, I resonated with his his story of Lyme disease. You know, so Stephen had Lyme disease really severely for a number of years, and he cured it through experiencing flow states. We still don't know exactly what the mechanism of action was behind that from a scientific uh, perspective, but Lyme has very similar symptoms to what I was experiencing after the head injury, mm-hmm. uh, and. 
that just caused me to resonate a lot personally with his story as well, uh, which, you know, psyched me up even more about flow and prospects of flow. Yeah. For anyone listening, that I highly recommend. There's a really good Tim Ferriss interview with uh, Stephen, and where he goes pretty deep about that story. And I think it was he was using surfing, right? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. I remember it was one of those ep- episodes where you're kind of leaning on the end of your chair and you're waiting for more. So I highly recommend people check it out. I think what you really nailed, in in my opinion, because I, I resonate with this as well, is you know just the accessibility, right? On all of this, this knowledge. And it's, I mean, it's super important science backed and it's, it's not like, you know, um, it's not like this stuff is new. Like it's, it's, I mean, there's definitely new research, uh, obviously, but the, like the core principles, and I'm just saying this cause in, in full transparency, I'm, I'm actually taking one of, uh, one of your courses, which has been fantastic, uh, called zero dangerous. Uh, and we'll, we'll link into it in the show notes, uh, with an offer for everyone listening. But you know, what, what I've been realizing going through that, I mean, you go right back to like the 1800s where, you know, experiments are being performed as people dropping 60 feet off of mountain, you know, cliffs and, and basically jumping into these flow states essentially. Right. Um, and then to your point, like there's all these other ways to talk about it when it comes to self-help and spirituality, but that doesn't work for everyone, right? So, you know, it's just, it's the narrative. It really is the narrative on how to, I guess, connect with the other person on the other side to say, you know, okay, that I get, right? Whether it's through athletes, most of us understand that through athletes, Um what have you found, you know, I mean, you guys are working with quite a few people and I almost, I want to say you're, you're, you're modernizing that narrative. Like what, what have you found work that works really well when you're out there either speaking to individuals, entrepreneurs or, or companies and trying to educate um, them on flow and, and how to access these flow states? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing, there's a couple of things to say there. One is, it's just, you know, the, the art of communicating about flow. And the second thing that's worth mentioning is the distinction that we like to make between training personality and training biology. But firstly, just when you're communicating flow, or when I'm communicating about what flow state is to people, what I always like to do is just immediately anchor it in their own experience because flow is ubiquitous. It's experienced by people you know, across the ages, across socioeconomic backgrounds, across races, uh, across occupations. So everyone has had a flow state experience in the same way that everyone has experienced, you know, elation or awe or uh, even the hypnagogic state before falling asleep. So what I always try to do is describe the state. So, you know, it's that state of total and utter absorption in whatever it is that you're doing where time dilates and you get, you know, totally lost in the activity uh, with hours going by and what feels like minutes. And then I try and, you know, have someone think of an actual example of that in their own life. And then you usually get that kind of aha inside moment. And someone's like, oh, yeah, you're talking about, you know, being in the zone or whatever language they themselves use to describe that state that they have experienced and probably do still experience with some regularity. Um, so I find that really useful just from a communication standpoint. Uh, and then... Secondly, what's worth mentioning as well, which kind of brings us back to the distinction between the the older school self-help approaches, the spiritual approaches versus the scientific approaches, the reason, the primary reason that we advocate for 
taking a more scientific, evidence-based approach is the distinction between training biology or training personality. So personality is end to one. It differs depending on every single individual. And so, you know, you, you, you will get different applications that will have varying levels of success rate based on, you know, how unanimous big groups of people's personalities are. Whereas if you drop down to the level of biology, you reach unanimity uh, in that any application, you know, so long as you're human with a nervous system, uh, whatever we're doing or advising or training is going to work for you in the same way that, you know, a calorie deficit is going to cause weight loss for any human being. So long as they are literally a human being with human physiology, a calorie deficit works without question. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of personality you have. It doesn't matter about any of the other factors. It's going to work. And so we try and do the same thing when we're training peak performance. We try and, uh, we try and target biology because of the fact that it is guaranteed to work for everyone, at least much more than, than going in at the level of personality, which has obviously just you know, infinitely higher variance person to person. Yeah. I love that. You're, I mean, it's, it's just standardizing it for, like you said, essentially humans. So that makes, that right. makes it sound, it's funny. Like it, it sounds obvious, but it's not obvious obviously because I mean, there's been so much, you know, so many different approaches to this. Um, so high fives to you guys for, for figuring that one out, I guess. I mean, so I, th I think you, you described a bit about, you know, what flow states are. I'm assuming everyone is, uh, can, can re resonate with that. And we've all experienced certain uh, moments in our own lives. Like, why are they important? And I guess it's like the, the follow-up to that, you know, why should we be trying to access these states more often or to tap in them on in, in, in a more, um, planned way versus kind of just falling into these randomly in, in life? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, again, there's a couple answers to that. One is just the performance enhancement that comes across a number of domains, which are critical to success in the 21st century that you get when in a flow state. So research has found and some of the users or some of the listeners may have, may have heard Stephen or others talking about these, but Research has found that executive productivity uh, increases by up to 500% when in flow, according to McKinsey, the management consultancy. Wow. Research done, actually, funnily enough, by Teresa Mible at Harvard, found that creativity spikes for up to three days after a flow state. So you get this kind of increase in your overarching overall level of creativity from a flow state, even when you're not in a flow state. Research done by Advanced Brain Monitoring and DARPA on snipers found that skill acquisition speed increased by 490% when in flow and skill acquisition wow. speed, you know, is very comparable to learning and research done at the university of Sydney on creativity also found that creative problem solving increases by up to 430% when in flow and, you know, productivity in general, creativity, learning, these are all meta skills that are incredibly important in the 21st century given the technological change that's happening at the moment and the level at which you need to be able to adapt to what is happening. And then, you know, a second huge reason 
I think that flow is incredibly important is the impact that it has on mm. motivation. So Jamie, you said you interviewed before, his, his, um, his interest in flow, I believe, originally was sparked by his belief that it is the source code of intrinsic motivation. So you know, intrinsic motivation is essentially being motivated to do something not because of some end goal or result you're going to get, but because of the worthiness of doing that thing in and of itself, regardless of, you know, getting claps from people on the sideline or producing the some process output. or the journey. And yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. The process in and of itself feels fully worthwhile to the degree that you're compelled to engage in the process regardless of, of what output is coming as a result of that. So flow hugely increases intrinsic motivation because of the fact that it is autotelic. So autotelic is, is kind of a fancy research, research word for addictive. Um, and when in a flow state, the activity that you're in a flow state in ends up feeling worthwhile in and of itself. And that's wh why you get... You know, surfers waking up at 4.30 a.m. and driving four hours across the country to surf for 12 hours straight when, you know, they would struggle enormously to get out of bed potentially at, yeah. you know, 9 a.m. to go to work for four hours. And that's why you get video gamers playing things like, what was that, what was that recent game? Fortnite. One? I can't remember the name of it. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Fortnite, exactly. You'll get you get guys playing that for you know sixty hours a week with immense, immense focus and concentration uh, and a total and utter sense of effortlessness during that. And so, there are examples of of flow causing intrinsic motivation within activities that don't necessarily produce uh, anything or kind of move you forward in life. But if you can hack flow, which is what we teach people how to do, and get into that same state that surfers are in when surfing or video gamers are in when playing Fortnite, you can get that same sense of intrinsic motivation around activities that are going to produce tangible results in your life, like, you know, your day job, for example, or like writing or like, you know, doing sales calls, if that's what you do, or, or even exercising or something like that. So, it can be incredibly powerful for behavioral change and sticking to something if you can manage to access flow during that activity and then build intrinsic motivation into that activity. Super interesting. I, it, you, you touched on it because I, I did want to ask you about this, like how we could use um, flow states and everything that you know about it to you know, help us slow down a bit and help us with our mental health and just all the mental clutter that all of us have to deal with given, you know, where we're at with technology and all the content and social media and all of that stuff. Are you seeing, uh, I should ask you too, I mean, you guys are doing some wild research with like F1 and um, a ton of different organizations that, that people would recognize. Like what are, are you seeing anything on that level? As far as reduction in struggle and increase in mental health and well-being? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so a lot of the original research done by Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who's a Hungarian psychologist who actually coined the term flow within an academic context, was actually around flow 
and well-being and flow and life satisfaction and flow and sense of meaning. Okay. And flow is very highly correlated with those three things. You, you tend to see that the people who have the most flow in their lives, whether it's through work, and ideally it is given just the percentage of time we spend at work, or whether it's through leisure activities you know, in and around work, those people who experience the most flow tend to be much more fulfilled, have a much higher sense of meaning, um, and be much more satisfied within their lives versus people who don't report to experience as much flow. And then, I mean, there's just this straight up kind of logical or even anecdotal observation that when you're in a flow state, you're not struggling by default. Yeah. You know, it's inherent flow state is a sense of effortlessness and the flow states are inherently enjoyable states in the same way that, you know, if you take MDMA, you, you can't, you know, it's by default going to be a pleasurable experience. It's the same thing with flow. It by default is a pleasurable experience just because of the brain chemistry uh, and your neurochemical state when you're in a flow state. Um, and so that just anecdotally is immensely helpful for people, you know, to be able to break up the monotony or the day-to-day -day struggle or the grind by accessing flow and experiencing, you know, all of the enjoyment that you get when in that state, I think just anecdotally or logically is going to improve someone's well-being, improve their mental health and reduce the percentage of the time that they're in a struggle, you know, white knuckling grind mode. Mm -hmm. Well, that that's the thing. And like, I, I can't remember the the actual uh, researcher on this, but this was through your course again, and it really hit home for me. It was just the example of the the guy that had the accidental fall off the cliff uh, and it was something like 60 feet and he survived. But while he was, you know, falling or free falling, the uh, what Stephen was describing it, based on the, the guy's notes after was just, you know, like time stopped. Um, there was no emotional, like there was no sense of I'm, I'm going to die. It, it was like all these different things were going through his, his head that, didn't relate to stress hormones and all these things, which is crazy to think, right? He was just in this, this altered state of consciousness. Uh, and again, not advocating for people to jump off cliffs here. There's a, there's better ways to do this, but I think that, well, right? <laughs> we'll have to put a footnote on the, on the show. But I mean, if we can access these states, like it, it seems very obvious uh, the benefits, right? That we can get. Uh, by doing this yeah so so in the book stealing fire Stephen and jamie did an amazing job of identifying the common characteristics to all non-ordinary states of consciousness of which flow states are a subset you know so a non-ordinary state of consciousness um which is a term coined by stan groff and um, researcher in this space is essentially any state that differs to your kind of waking default experience. So that includes flow states, psychedelic states, states of awe, meditative states, trance states, sleep, and uh, dreaming is a non-ordinary state of consciousness. But common to all non-ordinary states of consciousness are four qu uh, characteristics or qualities of the experience, which are selflessness, timelessness, effortlessness, and then richness, which is short for information richness. Mm. So inherent in these states, you get this sense 
Uh, firstly, of selflessness. So you're kind of your inner critic, that voice that's always there in the back of your mind, your inner dialogue goes offline. And for many people, especially if they struggle with you know, mental health challenges, their inner critic is not a particularly pleasant voice to have to listen to yeah. all day. Oftentimes, people struggle enormously with negative self-talk, limiting beliefs, and they're constantly you know, at themselves, grinding away and chipping away at themselves within their own mind. And within a non-ordinary state of consciousness, you essentially get a break from that dialogue, which for a lot of people is you know, immensely relieving. Um, you also get that sense of timelessness, you know, so time warps and dilates in certain states. Like, I'm not sure exactly which example you're referring to, the guy falling off a cliff, but in certain states uh, that are physically induced. So, you know, action and adventure sports, mm -hmm. athletes doing extreme things. Often you'll get time slowing down or, you know, even in a car crash, um, you get that kind of, you know, freeze frame effect where time slows down. You get that near-death experience, which also is a non-ordinary state of consciousness, or then in, you know, cognitively demanding activities when you manage to get into flow, time will speed up uh, and you'll be able to write, you know, potentially for hours on end or play music for hours on end or even just work for hours on end totally in the zone. And that itself is also highly pleasurable. And then you also get effortlessness, which, as we've talked about, is inherently, you know, going to be a break from struggle and grind and having to push resistance that people often struggle and battle with day to day just melts away and people are able to kind of effortlessly just guide through whatever it is that they're doing and be pulled rather than having to constantly push and then you get richness or information richness which is actually kind of a heightened state of perception and awareness because as you get selflessness and timelessness the parts of the brain that regulate the experience of self and the experience of time go offline and an efficiency exchange occurs, at least according to uh, David Eagleman, who's a neuroscientist at Stanford, and more of the brain is available to process more information that's coming at you from hmm. your environment. So you get heightened perception where you can actually process more information than in a normal waking day kind of state of consciousness. So you get all these characteristics that occur, which are you know immensely pleasurable and immensely useful. That's the interesting thing about flow as well, is that it's both highly productive and highly enjoyable. Um, and it's an inherently active state, unlike something like meditation, where you know you don't necessarily need to be engaged in any activity to do. Yeah, I love it. Thank you so much for that breakdown. Um, and I'll link to... Uh... I'll link to the book as well, Stealing Fire, for, for people to pick it up. Um, I, I'd just have to know, personally speaking, on your side, like what are some of the practices that you have in your life on a regular basis to access these uh, flow states? Or for you, you know, what you're doing to kind of train your mind and keep your mind healthy? Sure, sure. So we, what we recommend, you've probably seen this in Zero to Dangerous already, is that people have two flow activities outside of their work. Um, so primary and a secondary flow activity. And that can be, you know, skiing, that could be playing music, that could be uh, surfing, that could be any activity that's rich in flow triggers essentially and is going to have you likely drop into a flow state when doing it. And so Stevens, for example, is uh, skiing and mountain biking. Um, mine personally, so... 
mine has been the last few years actually work, which is not necessarily what we recommend. We recommend the activities <laughs> outside of work. It's a big personal 2020 resolution of mine to take surfing back up, which I actually had to stop doing after the head injury, uh, and then take up Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well, which I have many friends who do, and they say it's absolutely phenomenal from okay. a flow perspective. So I'm going to be getting those done in, in 2020. But mine has been work. So I just I apply everything that we teach, and you know I'm lucky enough to be able to sit down and begin work usually at about 5.15 a.m. and go pretty much straight through um, often – you know, even without enough breaks uh, to be fully healthy for 12, 13, 14 hours, which is great because it, you know, makes immense productivity incredibly enjoyable and totally effortless. Uh, but also it, it makes balance um, and having a more rounded life sometimes a little more challenging. So work has been, yeah, historically um, where I've experienced the most flow, thankfully. Well, it is. I mean, I can resonate with that just even on my side, um, you know, interviewing awesome people like yourself and picking up all these different practices and, and mental fitness kind of hacks and things like that. It's like, you know, you're just constantly learning and, and self-developing in, in your own way. So uh, I get that uh, totally. Again, um, not for everyone. Make sure. I think what like what you're saying, though, on your side is it, it's not a grind for you. Like you, you enjoy it. So, um, and, and you are in that flow state, which is uh, super cool to get to that point. If it's, if it's through your work, right. Versus leaving burnt out. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it, it's also, I think in many ways, it's the ultimate competitive advantage. You know, they say oftentimes you hear that phrase that, you know, if you want to, if you want to kind of beat the competition, you just got to figure out, you know, what it is that you love to do, and do that and you're much more likely to get to a hugely you know impressive high level doing something you love um than doing something that's grind and it's much you know easier to compete with people who are not loving what it is that they're doing when it is that you love what you do but you know what tends to cause people to love what they do is experiencing flow in that thing so usually you know when someone says i love what i do it is often synonymous with saying I get in flow a lot during, you know, during a high percentage of my working day doing what it is that I do. And it's, it, it is, it's immensely difficult to compete with someone who just loves it and who works mm-hmm. you know, hour on hour on hour on hour, you know, out of total and utter enjoyment in that state, again, of being pulled through the work rather than having to push through it. It's just, it's difficult to compete with someone. Uh, who's in that state, if you're in a state of grinding and having to force yourself to do an extra 30 minutes at the end of the day to try and get ahead, it's just not going to happen. So um, yeah. hacking flow is, is incredibly effective as a competitive advantage because of how much it helps you love what it is that you do. It could be a great process too for, I mean, we're we're recording this near the end of the year, uh, a highly reflective time for, for most people. And this will probably go out actually in the early new year. Uh, so still appropriate, but it could be a good prompt or, or reflective question for people to just take a bit of time and even list out the things that they know um, put them in a flow state or in those, those states where they just feel like they're really cooking and, and things, you know, to your point, all the, the, the characteristics you brought up and, and just step back, right. And see like, how, what's the percentage of 
of your life that you're living in in those states or how are you prioritizing those activities and, and whatnot? And the answer may be yes, the answer may be no, but at least it's a bit of a self-assessment on, you know, where there might be some change or some uh, opportunities to pursue. Exactly. Yeah, no, we hugely recommend that. And we do those kinds of diagnostics with people in our training so that they can hone in on, you know, what kinds of activities they're most likely to experience flow in and how they can sort of start to build a career around those kinds of activities and those kinds of tasks. Um, because yeah, just, it, it can make an enormous difference and a helpful way also to conceptualize it from a career standpoint is that it's, it's sort of a dual uh, or two way feedback loop. So passion and purpose for neurobiological reasons that we won't necessarily go into. Now you can check out content on our website and stuff like that. If you want to go into the science, uh, they drive flow and they, they function as flow triggers. So if you're doing something that you're passionate about and that you feel a sense of purpose around, you're more likely to get into flow. And a simple way to you know, think about passion and purpose is um, you know, purpose is impact, passion is interest. Uh, so purpose is you know, related to the degree of impact that you're having on others. Um, passion is related to the degree of interest that you yourself have and whatever it is that you're doing. But the more passion and purpose you have for what you're doing, the more likely you are to experience flow. And the more flow that you end up experiencing, the more passionate you're going to be about whatever it is that you're doing and the more yeah. you're going to end up loving whatever it is that you're doing. So it becomes this kind of cyclical feedback loop where it's sort of self-feeding and you become you know, more and more passionate, which produces more flow, which makes you love it more, which increases your passion, which in turn increases the amount of flow that you're experiencing. So it can be really powerful when you start to you know, focus on getting that feedback loop going within your life and within your career. That's definitely one loop I'd love to participate in. That's that's a good one versus uh, endless scrolling on social media. It's <laughs> amazing. Well, just speaking about prompts, um, I always ask guests on this show to leave a couple journaling prompts. And even if you're not journaling, uh, just some reflective questions that you find have been helpful throughout your life or on a daily basis to help you slow down and, and think a little bit. And I've noticed even just through the course, I mean, basically every video and every segment, uh, re you know, references back to or suggests people to journal on, you know, the application of what was just delivered in that education. So I imagine you're, you are a believer in uh, taking some time to reflect and, and write things down. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A nice question actually just yesterday that I was reading about from a guy called Jerry Colonna, who okay. is the founder of a executive coaching firm, which is big in Silicon Valley called Reboot. Uh, it's mm. a super good journaling question, I thought, and he was talking about it. So it's how am I complicit? in producing the circumstances that I wish to change something along those lines or how am I complicit in producing the circumstances I'm in, which just forces you to ask yourself, you know, how is it that I am, you know, a participant in producing the things in my life that I actually don't want to have? Yeah. What is it that I'm doing through self-sabotage or, you know, subconscious actions that are pulling me down and derailing my life, even in subtle ways, or just, you know, causing me to short, um, short circuit my success a little bit. So that's a, like that's a that. great question. Yeah, it's a really, really helpful one. Uh, another super simple journaling practice that 
is immensely helpful um, for creativity is literally just to, to write any question that you have to a problem that you're wrestling with or trying to solve at the top of a blank piece of paper. And you want to do this with pen and paper for sure. There are, again, neurobiological reasons that it's more beneficial to do this exercise with a physical pen and paper than on an iPad or just typing on a Google yeah. Doc or whatever. But you want to just write down the question, whatever it is. It might be you know, a strategic thing that you're struggling with in work or in your company. It might be a personal question. And then force yourself to, within one session, so one seated session, uh, write 30 answers. And usually, you know, the first seven answers are pretty easy. You can kind of pretty quickly jot them down. And then it starts getting a little trickier around, you know, between sort of seven and 20. And then oftentimes your 20th to 30th answers to your question are going to have absolute gold uh, as far as insight <laughs> and, you know, creative solutions that you just never would have thought of otherwise. But you've just got to grind through and keep answering the question, usually through answers, yeah, answers seven to 20. And you okay. will end up coming up with at least uh, three or four incredibly helpful solves to whatever it is that you're you're grappling with. I love that. That's a great, great hack. Is there? Do you have any other um, final questions that uh, have been circulating in your world? I love to do the five minute journal questions every morning and evening. Yeah. It, it kind of it trains. I find uh, it trains my selective focus or my reticular activation system uh, to filter for these things throughout the day. So the questions that I answer in the morning is literally just listing three things that I'm grateful for and three, three things I'm going to do in that day to make the day great. And then um, what, it's one affirmation as well. So I am dot, 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 whatever it is that you're hoping to be. And then at night, you list three things that were great that happened that day. And one thing that you could have done to make the day even greater. And the real magic of this activity actually comes with doing it both night and day, or, um, sorry, morning and evening over time, and then doing it, doing it over time. So as you do it over time, your brain begins to, to filter for information that you can use that evening when listing amazing things that have happened that day. So, you know, your, your kind of unconscious begins to realize that, okay, this guy's going to make me do this every single morning, every single evening. I better, you know, begin looking for things that I'm going to be able to use as answers. And that just helps yeah. and trains your focus to hunt for the positive all the time, which, you know, obviously is helpful just in terms of even happiness and well-being and, you know, joy. So I, I love that exercise as well. Super simple one, but it's really helpful. It's so, it's so practical. And I've even noticed personally, um, applying that, you know, that mentality or that practice to other habits. Like, you know, if, if I'm tracking, you know, water consumption or something at the end of the day, like I'll, I just find, even if I'm not asking the prompt throughout the day, just know, again, knowing that at the end of the day, I want to make sure that I've had enough water just your your mind just goes you know looks for that right throughout the day and use that for for so many different things and shout out to the five minute journal guys they're actually toronto toronto based so thanks for mentioning them um we're i'm recording this at least um i just want to really thank you for your time and 
keeping this conversation um, at a level that I think is very understandable, right? And I mean, you're clearly very well versed in the science, and uh, at least from my from my understanding, um, I picked up on everything that kind of you were you were dropping on the conversation and. Most importantly, people want to look into it even further. There's a ton of resources that you guys are offering. Um, but I feel like I'm personally leaving with a lot of practical things that I can uh, implement in my day. So A, thank you for that. But B, thank you for um, dedicating uh, your time every day to your work uh, of helping other people access these super valuable um, insights and flow states in their life. I mean, that you're you're helping humans at an exponential level so thank you for that absolutely and no, i appreciate it and listen straight back at you as well the podcast is great and everything you're doing is great so uh yeah i love it too man awesome we should probably mention um this will be in the show notes but you've graciously offered uh you and the team at the flow research collective a free strategy session right with uh, the link that's in the show yeah, notes Am I yeah, yeah. So you guys can go to cool. um yeah zero to dangerous.com forward slash it's beyond the human isn't it yeah we'll do behind the uh, beyond behind the human, human. yeah so yeah. dangerous.com forward slash behind the human and you can book a free 30 or 45 minute strategy session with a member of our team uh, and on that call they will help you just have a look and a think about you know flow in your own life how you can get more of it what you can do to increase the amount of flow that you're experiencing uh, and then they'll make you aware as well of any trainings that we offer and you know what is involved in getting on board for for coaching or training with us as well if that's of interest that's amazing well again thank you for that and again i'm, I'm vouching for the program what, what i really love about zero to dangerous is um you know, they're quick sessions, you know, they're anyway from anywhere from 20 to 30 minute videos that then are really backed with, um, you know, your class, essentially an online community that you can jam with in the chats and stuff like that. And you've got some accountability partners. It's just really well done. So congrats to you and the team for uh, that setup as well. I appreciate it, man. Big time. Awesome. Well, you have yourself an amazing day. You too, boss. All the best. 